is Psalm 34. If you would please open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 34. The reason we're in the Psalms, I know some of you are like, last time I was here we were in 1 Samuel. Well, we are in 1 Samuel, but when David writes a psalm based on an event in 1 Samuel, we're going through that psalm as well. David is being chased by Saul. He runs to um, everyone, it seems, and finally he runs to Gath. He runs to the enemies of God. He runs to the Philistines. So you know you've reached a new low when you run to the Philistines. You run to your enemies for safety. Babies can stay. Mimi, you don't have to take them out unless you want to. They need to hear God's word too. So David is running and he runs to Gath. He carries Goliath's sword and he's recognized. He's accosted. They're... Maybe abusing him, we don't know, but he's scared for his life. So he pretends to be mad and he's driven out by Achish. And this psalm, Psalm 34, was written after that event. So in Psalm 34, we get to see kind of what is in the mind of the great man as he's going through this very difficult trial. So this is Psalm 34. I'll begin reading uh, verse 1. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Psalm 34 of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many good days, that he, sh- he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and he hears and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps his bones, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we come to you once again. 
Our hearts are pierced by your word and comforted at the same time. We pray that your word truly would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That your word would pierce to joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That your Holy Spirit would do his work in our own hearts. That you would prepare us to partake of the Lord's Supper by remembering your great and awesome grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we only looked at the first four verses of bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. That was last week. David is saying in the midst of all of his troubles, he's going to praise the Lord, to magnify the Lord, to exalt the Lord. In the midst of troubles, he's going to do that. When we face trials, we should humble ourselves before the almighty hand of God and praise him. Give him thanks for his care for us. Call upon him for deliverance and exalt his name. Since I just preached last week's sermon in 30 seconds, you might wonder why I didn't do that last week. I'm sorry, I can't answer that question. This week it's going to take a little bit longer. We're going to go through verses 4 through 17, 4 through 14. Our God who is present is the title of the sermon. Do you realize God is with you? He sent his Holy Spirit and he's God with us. Emmanuel. Because of his Holy Spirit, he lives in us. So our prayer is confident, number one. Our salvation is certain, number two. And our instruction is clear, number three. And finally, our reality is experienced in Christ. Our confident prayer, our certain salvation, and our clear instruction. We see each one of these things in these few verses. First, look at... The confidence of David's prayer in verses 4 through 7. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. David was unique in courage and in faith, and yet we read that David had fear because God delivered him from his fears. If David, the man who had such courage that he faced Goliath, that he had such faith that he would walk out in front of the giant with a sling. If he had fears, we shouldn't be afraid to acknowledge that we also have fear and do what David did and seek the Lord. To seek the Lord is to pray. We need to pray. We should be all the more inclined to pray when we're afraid. David elsewhere says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. When we're dismayed, when we're afraid, we do afraid we we call upon the Lord and the Lord will deliver us from our fears certainly we know if you've lived life long enough you know that it doesn't always mean that God answers the prayer exactly the way you ask him to some of you struggling with ongoing health issues your prayer is God heal my body and God rather than heal your body he sanctifies your soul has he not answered your prayer No, he has. He's answered it in a glorious way, but it wasn't exactly what you had hoped for. His answer might not always be a physical deliverance. I think of the many saints throughout history who were facing death for their faith and they cried out for deliverance. 
and they still walked to the, to the pyre and were burned, or they were hanged, or they were tortured to death. Did God fail to answer their prayers? No, God answered their prayers, but in a different way than they expected. Rather, we see them walking to the scaffolds with courage, trusting in their God. They embrace their trials with courage and with peace, knowing that their loving God was sovereign over their lives and all the events of their lives. This is the confidence that David has as well, especially after this event and seeing the salvation of his God. But often God actually does condescend to us and deliver us, deliver us from real harm, from physical harm, from ruined finances or broken relationships. Often that is also his purpose, to answer our prayers. Why? Because he loves his children. He loves us. And David knew that his father was listening. When he prayed, he knew that his father listened. So when you pray, don't just think this is just a little little tiny prayer. I'm just going to lift up a little prayer. Oh, someone's sick. Let's, let's lift up a little prayer. That's not possible. You're praying to Almighty God. Their prayer goes straight to the throne of God. There's no small prayer. Pray often. Pray all day. Pray without ceasing. Pray with great faith. God hears the prayers of His children. When one of these little kids runs up to Daddy, do you think their dad just kicks them away? I don't care that you want a cracker. I just gave you a cracker. You want another piece of cheese? Get away. That's not what happens, is it? Or when he screams in some crazy way in the middle of the service. What does dad do? He just picks him up, right? He loves his children. Our father is so much more loving than any earthly father could ever be. Pray to the Lord. Pray to him. In verse 5 he says, Those who look to him are radiant. This is all in the context of prayer. We offer confident prayers to God. Those who look to Him, to look to Him, the context is praying. When you pray to God, when you look to Him to meet your needs, He says, those who do this are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This is the same root, the word radiant. It's the same Hebrew word for shine. It's like the sun shines. When you read that, it's the same word. The same root. Those who look to God shine. They're not ashamed. It's like this morning we talked about the the vessel, the clay vessel being broken so that the light of God can shine out. When we look to God in in our difficulty, we're not ashamed. We need to pray. In verse 6, he talks more about his prayer. He said, This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David in his distress, considering all that he's done, and you know he's kind of stumbled along this difficulty. He's, he's kind of gone here and there and wondered if he's, and he's made some foolish decisions as well. And in his distress, he looks back and he considers himself poor. And by using such language, he's inviting all of us to look at him and do what he did to pray. He's he's saying, look at me, I'm a poor wretch. I I did this poorly. But the Lord heard my cry. 
And if God will hear me, he will also hear and save you. So no matter how you feel, pray to the Lord. Sometimes you might feel like, I've just sinned too much. I've messed this up too badly. I cannot pray. God won't hear my prayer. It's a lie. God will hear your prayer. Pray to him when you're in trouble. We're encouraged to do so in God's word. So that's our prayer. Our prayer should be like David. It should be constant. It should be confident. We should remember that God is for us. He's for his children. He's for his bride. But especially so when we consider the one who saves us, the one who answers us is God himself. So we can confidently pray and expect an answer from God. Expect God to deliver us from our fears, to make us radiant, because Christ is our advocate with the Father. This is the why. It's because of Jesus. We have a certain salvation. We have a confident prayer, but also a certain salvation. Look at verse 7. I love this. I love this verse. The angel, this is David. Remember David speaking. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. It's the angel of the Lord who encamps around his people. The angel of the Lord. What comes to mind when reading this particular passage is, to me anyway, is Pharaoh's attempt to destroy Israel. Israel had just been expelled or left Egypt. They left the slavery of Egypt, and Pharaoh realizes what has happened, and they go after the Israelites in an attempt to destroy Israel. And David certainly knew this history. He knew the history of the Exodus. It's the history of Israel. This is the defining moment in the history of this nation, is the exodus from Egypt. It's what changes everything. So David knew this account. He knew that Pharaoh was chasing the Israelites all the way to the Red Sea, and God had told the Israelites to go to a specific place. He told them to go to this place by the Red Sea where they're kind of boxed in. They're surrounded by mountains. There's no way out. It's either back the way they came, or onto the water. In Exodus chapter 14, we read the, the account. And you'll see the similarities in, in David's account of the angel of the Lord encamping around him. Exodus 14.9 says, The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and his army, and overtook, and encamp- overtook them encamped at the sea. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Remember, Egypt then was not the Egypt of today. The Egypt of today, they don't have a great army. They're not really well respected in the world. It's just another country. The Egypt of this day, in Exodus chapter 14, was the superpower. They were the country that dominated all others. The most powerful force on the planet, with invincible might, is pursuing the Israelites. And the Israelites are slaves, former slaves. They know to make bricks, they know how to make food, but they don't know how to fight. The Egyptians were pursuing the entire people of Israel to kill them or force them back into slavery. 
And the Israelites feared greatly. And what did they do? They cried out to the Lord. They didn't cry out to the Lord even properly. Their cry was more like, God, why did you bring us here? But Moses cried out to the Lord as well. Verse 13, it says, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you will only have to be silent. You see, David is, is, is understanding a bit more of the, the reality that God does the fighting. God does the changing. God does the miracle. God, God, he's the one who works in relationships. He's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who changes circumstances. God does this. So Moses encouraged them like a pastor would encourage you today when you face a trial, not to fear, but to trust God. He says you'll only have to be silent and watch what God does. Watch God fight for you. Some theologians say that the command, fear not, is the most frequent command in all of the Old Testament. Indeed, the Bible. Fear not. Depends on what you count as a command, but needless to say, fear not is very, very often used in Scripture. And it's usually followed by a promise of action that God will do something. Fear not because God will do something. David said in Psalm 34, he was delivered from all his fears. How? By praying to Yahweh. By praying to God. They were not to fear, but they were to see the salvation of the Lord. This is what Moses said. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Remember, salvation is the word Yeshua, which is the name of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? You will see the Yeshua of the Lord. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. So as we look to our salvation, as we look to Jesus, our salvation, we also can fear not. And then what happened? This is where it gets really special. Verse 19 of Exodus 14 Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Israel and the host of Egypt. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. The angel of the Lord is protecting the people of Israel. He's coming between Israel and their enemies. The angel of God, the angel of the Lord, is the Old Testament version of the pre-incarnate Christ. It's, it's how they describe the pre-incarnate Jesus. And later in Exodus, we see that God Himself shows that Jesus is, is closely related, is basically part of the cloud, the presence of God. He's identified with God's presence. Exodus 23.20 Behold, I send an angel before you. This is God talking. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way, to bring you to the place I prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. No wonder Paul said that the rock was Christ when he described the rock that was with 
the Old Testament Israelites in the wilderness. No wonder David could look back and say, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. That's what he did to the Israelites, the protector of Israel, the warrior king, the commander of the Lord's armies. He went behind the people of Israel by the Red Sea. So the similarities certainly are striking, and you could see how this this history would inform David's love for God and his understanding of God's faithful care for his people that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. That's what he's always done. David feels like the angel of the Lord is all around him to deliver him. He came between David and all his enemies. Right now it's Saul who's who's trying to kill David and he's between Saul and David to protect him and to deliver him from all his fears. And we should remember that the angel of the Lord still encamps around those who fear him to deliver them, us, his people, whom he loves. He's the salvation of the Lord. So when you feel like Israel or like David, surrounded by an overwhelming enemy or really overwhelmed by the the power of the situation you are facing, the only one who can help is the salvation of Israel. It's Jesus. The angel of the Lord. Apart from him, there is no salvation. Apart from him, there are no answers. There is no comfort. There's no deliverance apart from Christ. You might wonder, how do I get that help? You pray. That was what David was doing. He was praying to the Lord and telling you all the different ways that God answered him. David cried out to the Lord. He sought the Lord and he was delivered by the Lord. And he's determined to bless the Lord at all times. This is our life as well. Because we know that the angel of the Lord is still with us. What confidence and peace that gives us in Christ. Thirdly, we see that we have clear instruction based on everything David said. He gives instruction to those who would listen. Look at verse 11. He says, Come, O children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David instructs the listener in the most tender way possible. He calls them children. He's not talking about little kids, although they're included. This is the way that a father would, or a king would speak to his people. He would call them his children. And he's saying, listen to me, I've learned something. And I want you to, to learn from my life. Calvin says this is just David's gentle and courteous way of causing us to put down all prideful thoughts and listen to what David has to say. That these promises of God are sure for the meek and the humble who come to him like children to learn. So what does he say? Well, first of all, how do we learn the fear of the Lord? He says he's going to teach us the fear of the Lord. Verse 12, he says, What man is there who desires life and loves many good days, or loves many days that he may see good? Part of the fear of the Lord is wanting to live well, to desire life. Life is only found in Christ. This sounds much like Micah 6. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? David says, if you desire to learn to to live life, to live life the way God intends, you'll listen to me. 
And he says, how do you do this? Well, he gives us two reasons, or two ways. Number one, verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit or speaking lies. The old Southern theologian William Plumer said, the ways in which men sin with their tongue are many. Speaking becomes sinful. Get ready. Speaking becomes sinful when it is hasty, rash, continual, unseasonable, excessive, clamorous. He's pulling all these from Scripture. Senseless, unchaste, indelicate, impure, filthy, quibbling, deceitful, lying, slanderous, tattling, babbling, backbiting, detractive, I'm only halfway through, reproachful, flattering, seductive, betraying confidence, revealing secrets, awakening suspicions, tail-bearing, news-carrying, railing, reviling, boastful, scornful, desperate, murmuring, foolish, egotistical, vain or proud, malignant, bitter, resentful or cursing, profane, blasphemous. I would add careless. So our tongues sound like they could be pretty bad. James highlights the same point that David makes in, in his letter. This is chapter 3, verse 2 of James. We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect, a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. And James also says, for this reason, we're to be quick to what? Listen. It's slow to speak. Often I'm the other way. I'm quick to speak and slow to listen. But he says, we need to beware of our tongues. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. So when we're praying, I think we should be quick to speak. But when we're speaking to others, quick to listen. When we see God's faithfulness and and God's deliverance, God's answer to prayer... It makes us want to use our tongues for His glory alone. And that's the first way that we we have life in many good days is we desire to, to please our God with our words. And words are powerful. Words are special. God did not have to give us speech. There's no other species on the planet that has speech. You don't have, have monkeys talking to each other or, or zebras Quoting Shakespeare, we, we have speech. God has given us speech and our words are meant to glorify God and proclaim His holiness. We use them for so many other things. So let's watch our tongues and use our tongues for God's glory. This pleases God. Secondly, he says, if you want life, turn away from evil and do good. This is verse 14. Seek peace and pursue it. And this statement, of course, is made in reference to others. He's not saying just in a vacuum, turn from evil and do good. He's, he's talking about those who are, who are confronting him, who are against him. He makes this statement in light of others to show God's faithfulness as he seeks peace and pursues it, that God is watching and will deliver him. 
by seeking peace rather than by seeking evil, we see that we are turning away from evil. We're thwarting the plans of the enemy. Of course, this is what Jesus did often. When people would would come after him, he would bless them. He would pray for them. This pleases God. And it also produces peace. So in our affairs with others, we should be humble and gentle. Like Christ, we should be meek and lowly and strive to do what's best for them and not for ourselves. We should become like Christ. So these are David's instructions and his life lessons, all in response to God's goodness and his answers to prayer. He's been confident in prayer. He's been certain of the salvation he has because of Jesus, because of the angel of the Lord. And he's given us clear instruction to follow after God. But we'll conclude with this point, and that's that the the reality that we have is experienced. In other words, our lives experience the blessing of God. They really experience it. David saw God's faithfulness and protection and strength, and he recommends it to everyone around him. Verse 8, he says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't that beautiful? Taste and see that the Lord is good. It might seem wrong to use that word relating to God, except David does it in Holy Scripture. It's not sacrilegious. This is the Word of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We're not talking about our literal tongues, of course. But what he's saying is the same way you would taste something and you would see if it's good. He's saying, I've experienced this. Taste and see. I've got a son-in-law who, who told me once that he liked peanut butter, I think, and mayonnaise. And he's like, you just got to taste it. Taste it and see if it's good. Or maybe it was peanut butter and cheese. It was something disgusting. And I was like, I'm not going to taste that. And he's like, no, taste it. See, you, you might like it. Or it's like people who have said, you got to try this grape with this piece of cheese. When you put them together, oh, it's, it's amazing. And you're like, I don't know if cheese and grapes go together. And they're like, no, please taste it. Tasted it and see if it's good. This is what David's doing. He's saying, I've tasted this thing. I've trusted God even in hardship. I praise God in hardship. Taste and see. Turn your heart to God. Pray to Him. Trust Him. Watch Him do His work. Just wait and watch and see how good it is. When you trust God in difficulty, when you step back and and try not to solve the problem in your own strength, but rather you... You trust God. You pray and you taste and see. Later, he, he, he mentions young lions. This is verse 10. He says, young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What's he saying? He's saying young lions aren't waiting on God. They're not praying to God. They're, they're like people who go after it. They run in their own strength to solve this thing, to solve the problem. And they end up hungry and they end up needy. But he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It seems risky to trust God sometimes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Really pray. Really trust. Really wait. Continue pursuing the Lord in difficulty. And you'll see that he really is good. And you will lack no good thing. Let us pray before we turn to the Lord's Supper. Our Father in heaven, we come to you as your people. We do desire to pursue you and to to pray when we are in trouble. We do desire to be like David and to remember all of your 
your grace and your mercy and your deliverance and to give you praise, to give you honor and glory. Lord, it seems so hard when we're in trouble. It seems so hard when we're beset by a situation or a person or a, an ailment or a difficulty. It seems so hard at times to trust, to pray and to trust you rather than like a lion to run after and try to fix it ourselves. And yet we know that you are good that you listen to the prayers of your people, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him to deliver them. We pray this in Jesus' name.